everybody. Welcome back to Simply Holy Living, a practical guide for living the open-handed life every day. And specifically, welcome to chapter four of An Unhurried Life. I hope you're enjoying the book club as much as I am. The last time that I uh, made a video for chapter three was um, I was sitting at Idlewild getting ready to do youth camp. And when God had miraculously opened up this little slice of time <laughs> that I had not planned, and it was awesome. And now I have returned from youth camp. I'm fairly clean. <laughs> I can't say we've unpacked all the way or cleaned up all the way. It's quite a bit to unpack and clean up. And in the midst of that, I had to have a uh, an eye surgery. I had a little cataract in one of my eyes. Anyway, so I don't even have glasses right now. And um, actually, hopefully, I may never have to have glasses, uh, well, at least for a long time again, for a long time. But uh, right now, um, my vision is returning to me, so I can kind of see, but not all the way. <laughs> and um, it's kind of an exciting process. So anyway, I'm right in the middle of that. So that happened as I was returning, and I was thinking, wow, I think I'm, um, I'm not quite getting, you know, grounded again. But luckily, this is about the third time I've gone through Chapter 4. And um, actually, I have to say that um, chapter four has had a profound impact on my life. It actually started when I first started reading it, but um, I got a chance to really go over it and sort of marinate in it, I guess, over um, the week that I was at camp. And, um, you know, I've, I, of course, as it starts off, it starts off with this story of the guy who jumps the gun and he makes the decision and he should have waited for his partner, right? And, um, you know, uh, those of you who have been listening to me for any period of time know that this is the story of my life is consistently taking matters into my own hands, you know, overstepping my bounds, you know, grabbing for what I um, want or need or think I need, you know, because of various reasons. But, um, I, you know, starting off the chapter, of course, it, it, it intrigued me right away because it is so me. Then going into Samuel and Saul, yes, I've compared myself to Saul many times, um, always being that person who will uh, overstep. And I think last time it was, or maybe the time before that, I was talking about um, sort of that feeling. Um, I have several things going on. One is I think I was just born with the personality that would that wants to make things happen, you know, so, you know, just always going for it 100%. I'm one of those people that's, uh, you know, all the, all the way, one way, you know, I'm all, all in or nothing. So I've always been a 100% person, uh, which probably would have had to have been taught, uh, had to have had a lot of discipling and teaching and molding and making in my upbringing to really hone that um, for to use, be used for God and not for myself. Um, but I did not do that, and on top of that, I had a, um, you know, a sort of a, a, a more passive father. He was so amazing, so gentle and so kind, but more passive, um, and so I was, I, you know, sort of came out more like a bully, you know, a bull in a china shop getting my way and, and you know, always fighting back and, you know, never listening and all of that stuff as I was growing up. And so that did not help. And then, of course, I had this time in my life when I had entered into middle school, which is, I think, what I talked about before, where I sort of came to this conclusion that um, the authorities in my life had failed. It was a perceived failure, but I think, you know, some of it was legitimate, but some of it was just strictly perceived, um, that they were not able to answer um, what my questions or um, protect me or help me to navigate that time in my life. 
And so all of those things combined has created in me quite a monster of um, if anybody's going to do anything, if anything's, if anything's going to be done around here, I'm going to have to do it myself. Sort of that, that was the lie that was, that is entrenched in me and I'm on my own. I've got to do this. So uh, anyway, so of course I was intrigued by that. But then as it went into the temptation of Christ, I was like, <clears throat> this is so, um, such a deep lesson. I think I've, the, the longer I've been trying to fight the spiritual battle, I have sort of come to this conclusion that if all I had was the temptation of Eve, uh, you know, the temptation in the garden and the temptation of Christ, I would have all I need to fight, you know, fight Satan because you have this example of what not to do and where they went wrong in the garden. Then you have this perfect example of Jesus Christ fighting back and winning. And it's just become such a profound teaching in my life. It's amazing. So I loved every word that had to do with um, the temptation. And um, it really got me thinking, um, and I just sat, I just kept reading it over and over. Uh, you know, that first temptation where Jesus, where Satan says, you know, just go ahead and make these stones red. I have always sort of identified with that um, you know, grab for what you need now, grab now, grab fast. It's going, it's, you know, you got to get it now or it's going to be gone. Um, you got to strike while the iron's hot kind of thing and get your meat, meet your own needs, meet your own needs. And that's the way I've always perceived that, but I had missed that whole thing really, which is that Jesus had just heard these affirming words from his father, which were, you are my beloved son and I'm very pleased with you. So, of course, I had missed that whole thing where really Satan was attacking his identity. <laughs> That's really what it was, was, well, if you're the son of God, if you are, if you are loved, then you shouldn't be hungry. I mean, I think that that, what I never got was the implied assumption of Satan um, that if we were loved and if we really were, who God said, then we shouldn't be suffering. First of all, we shouldn't be hungry. We shouldn't have the problems that we have. Life should be easier, whatever it is. For me, it's a lot of that life should be easier. Life should be, um, it's a, an assumption that love makes things easier, that love, uh, that you should never be wanting in love, that, um, that he attacks that. And I was thinking that's what I've been dealing with, you know, all summer really is I'm dealing with a generation that um, has an identity crisis. They cannot figure out who they are because they cannot figure out who they should be trusting. And you cannot figure out who you are unless you know who you can trust. And um, I've been witnessing this and them trying so hard to uh, sort of find their identity on their own and create an identity for themselves or create an identity out of one of their sins, as we know is very popular right now, um, and becoming, that's who I am, this is who I am, is this particular sin or whatever. And it's just so painful to watch, but I realize this is what, this is exactly what Satan does, is he attacks our identity as dearly loved children of God, someone that was knit together in our mother's womb exactly the way God want, intended us to be, with every single, what we would consider a, a, um, a defect or whatever. You know, it's just such a reminder that um, God has done what he's going to do, and it's often things that we think our defects are, he doesn't view them that way. 
you know, a life is sacred. Um, it's just because we think that somebody's quality of life is less doesn't mean that God considers it to be less. You know, anyway, just that whole identity that we were knit together exactly the way that God wanted us. And with every single thing, I talked to the girls all week about your hair color, your eye color, all these things that they begin to loathe. I don't like my hair, it's too curly. I don't like my hair, it's too straight. You know, we can think of these things as trivial or vain or whatever, but I'm telling you, when you are in seventh grade, it doesn't feel trivial. <laughs> so trying to connect with their hearts with a creator who is well pleased with them. What a concept. And for me, it really just helped me to understand how oftentimes, um, you know, I, I miss that, that what I'm doing is I'm going with the flow of, of sat a satanic assumption that my life should be easier if God loved me. And so, you know, go ahead and grab that food. This is ridiculous, sort of. Grab that whatever it is that you're going for. So I completely identified with that. You know, I'm not even reading the things I highlighted because I really highlighted so much stuff. I am going to read a few highlights, but I was like just intrigued by the whole story of it. If I read everything I highlighted, it would be almost the whole chapter. Um, but I, you know, I was thinking about how, you know, looking back at the garden when Eve was you know tempted first of all here she's had she's had been walking with God all of this time you know God has made her created her gave her a husband gave her every tree in the garden who knows how many trees that is and I've said this many times but in it feels like in one conversation Satan is able to to win her over and go yeah but what about that what about that tree that's not fair you know and, and thinking, you know, how easily she was able to listen to this one little voice rather than the voice that had been nurturing her and guiding her and created her and all this time. So it just reminds me, we got to keep our minds focused on what we do have and what we have been given, not something that we, ha we don't have, the one thing we don't have, the one thing that we want. Anyway, it was just a lesson that here's, you know, Jesus when he was comparing these two in the book. And here's Jesus in the midst of a wilderness, not in the midst of Eden, not in the midst of a garden, in the midst of a wilderness. And he's still able to hang on to the thing that he has, which is God's word. Life is more than bread. Life is more than all this stuff. I have something that's more important. I have God's words to me, which said, I am his son and I am loved by him. And realizing that we feast more on his word. Um, my, you know, even Jesus said, my food is to do the will of the Father. That is my food. Um, every word that comes out of his mouth, that is my food. So it's, you know, when we feast on what God gives, we're, you know, we, we become truly full. Anyway, but he was able to, in the midst of all of this wilderness, still hang on to what is important what God wants you know and and be able to fight Satan with that and of course I had to highlight this this compulsive and addictive living allows no time between impulse and action it contrasts wisdom I'm sorry in contrast wisdom calls us to be discerning about our temptations our impulses and inclinations yeah compulsive and addictive living allows no time between impulse an action, of course, me being a recovering drug addict. I'm very, very familiar with that. Um, and then I liked this uh, quote by, I, did, I don't know this person, but Shirley Carter 
Hewson, an, Angl an Anglican Benedictine abbot from the last century, suggested that, quote, in trying to dedicate every moment to God, just remember that the time of waiting, doing nothing, as the world would say, is just as much an offering to God as hours of prayer or work. And I have really come to feel this in my own life in just the practice of waiting for hunger. And I know I talk about this a lot, but it's really because that tangible act of saying, I'm gonna wait until my stomach actually asks for food. So many spiritual lessons have been taught to me. It's taught me how to wait for everything. It's taught me how to wait between my desire to buy something and the time it takes to ask God about it and to pray. The time, um, my desire for something new in our home, some work, you know, some project that we need done in our house, you know, some home improvement thing or um, some activity, some vacation, some whatever. Um, it's taught me how to wait. It's even taught me how to wait uh, to answer. It's made me slower to speak. I'm a pretty quick answerer. <laughs> I am pretty quick to speak and quick to get angry and slow to listen. So God has had to really uh, reverse that for me to make to teach me how to become slower to speak, um, quicker to listen. But actually that tangible act of waiting to eat has taught me a lot of spiritual lessons. And I was thinking that's exactly what she's talking about. At, or that's what hit me when I heard that, um, that quote from her. It's just all the lessons that I've learned in teaching myself to wait physically, um, translating into to learning how to wait spiritually for the things that God is, is wanting to bless me with. Um, and not hurrying ahead of God, you know, in his in his timetable. And then this next one, okay, so then it's talking about this next um, temptation and where he knows that God has called him to be, he, he actually is going to be the Savior of the world and he is going to be Lord over all of these kingdoms. Jesus is Lord. And he knew he had come for that task and he knew that God is supposed to be, God is using me, right? So I am on a mission uh, with God and my and I'm going to become Lord over all of these things but Satan of course comes in and he says just get it now you know all these things I'll give them to you because they've been given to me which I liked what he said about that being sort of a half truth yes for a time Satan is allowed a le allowed a lot of leeway here but in but really the battle has already been won and his time is short and that's why he's so enraged and he comes to make war on you and me on a daily basis you know it's so funny I um I realized that the spiritual battle right here in this, you know, in this world is so thick for me. And I, um, you know, I have become so accustomed to it. I almost forget to remind uh, myself and other people of it. Uh, I had this experience this week where I had, um, I was teaching this class, the eighth grade class, and I my normal people that I have come and help me um, teach, they actually share their lives for certain days of the week. They weren't gonna be there. I usually have my daughter, JL, and then I usually have another uh, daughter of mine, um, Lorena, uh, Lorena Hunt, come and share, and I, was, and I didn't have them, so I was gonna have to replace them. So I had asked these two other girls, you know, I was talking to them, I was interviewing them and trying to prepare them. And the day before, one of them was supposed to do her sharing, of course, she fell and sprained her ankle. <laughs> and so she had to go 
down the mountain to the emergency, you know, get it checked out, make sure it wasn't broken, come back up. You know how that feels when you've been through that. And I was like, oh yeah, of course. I forgot to tell her <laughs> that she's entered my spiritual, uh, you know, my spiritual battle vortex. <laughs> I was like, oh, I should have warned her. You know, and I'm not joking. <laughs> I, I'm laughing, but I'm not joking. I think that Satan um, makes war on all of us every single day. But I think the closer that you get um, to the front lines of the battle, the, the fiercer it is, the more fierce he comes after. And I have just, um, I have a problem with that internally because of that assumption that I figured out from that very first temptation that I have, which is that if God loved me, then my life should be easier. <laughs> if God loves me, I shouldn't be hungry. If God loves me, I shouldn't have to struggle with this. If God loved me, I, you know, just in general, raising children would be easier. Doing the things he called me to do would be easier. Um, you know, I think that it would represent ease in my life, right? So I have this, this with this second one, which is I know God has called me to do these things. Um, I loved his example of being called into the ministry that he has now, but it taking 10 years <laughs> to get there. Um, but all, that's, that's how I can be, is I feel, I, I feel like I go, okay, no, God has called me to this. Um, and, but the, the pushback can be so hard that I'll start to doubt what I have been called to do. Maybe I didn't hear him correctly. Were we crazy? What what were we? You know, that last time I said, what about uh, that woman saying, you're fearless? And I was like, oh, no, I'm not fearless. <laughs> I'm not fearless. <laughs> because I doubt so fast. It feels like to me, I doubt really quickly. So I, because I, God gives me ideas, and uh, my husband would argue, he, he gives me too many ideas. I agree. He does give me too many ideas. I have all these ideas, and actually a lot of these ideas are really great ideas. But someone has to pull them off, you know, and someone has to accomplish them. So I don't know that my spirituality actually matches all of my um, my ideas that, you know, God gives me this. It, but I think I just underestimate exactly how spiritual I would have to be to actually pull off these ideas. So in, I have to learn two ways. One way, one thing I have to learn is I can't wait for something to be perfect before I try it and put it in practice and just go for it and be okay with the fact that, you know, um, if I waited for everything to be perfect and conditions to be perfect, I would probably never end up doing anything. Um, and that imperfect is good enough, or if I hadn't tried that, if I hadn't started celebrating the Sabbath sort of imperfectly, I wouldn't have that great blessing in my life um, if I had waited for to understand it completely and really get it down and do it. And if I had waited for conditions to be perfect, I would never have written the Heritage Project I would never have, you know, started this ministry or that ministry. We would never even have Simply Holy, right? So this is like, I have to, I have to weigh both of these things. I can't wait for conditions to be perfect, which is my first temptation. But I do need to wait until it's God's way. And I think something that has helped me along this way is to look for the fruit along the way. Sometimes I start trying to do too much. I'm doing too much and I'm trying too fast because I'm grabbing and I'm, I'm going to make this happen. Yes, yes, yes. I'm, I'm going to do this now, you know, even though God's timetable is different. I'm going to do this now. But what I'll start to see is that I'm impatient. I'm unkind. Um, I have bad fruit. I'm running over people. <laughs> My kids are freaking out. Um, our household is not a household of peace. And I have to remember that I can only do as much as I can do spiritually.
And if my spirituality starts to wane, um, I'm probably, you know, getting out in front of God. And even if he gave me the idea to begin with, and even if he had called me to it, um, then I have at some point stepped outside of his bounds and his timetable, and I'm starting to do it on my own strength, with my own power, with my own ideas, and we are headed for disaster. So I've started to look at the condition of my home, and I go, you know, I can only do as much in the ministry as allows me to, to lead a godly household. So, you know, uh, I'm supposed to oversee the affairs of our household, and if it starts to be chaos and crazy and um, just sort of stinky in there, satanic around here, then I have to know that I'm, that I'm, I'm not in God's timetable. So that is something that has become very clear to me and even was even more solidified as I was reading this. And then finally, this third temptation, which, um, it was so cool. I kind of had a, a, a new understanding of this because the first two temptations, even though I can't, you know, I'm, God is still revealing new things about what those are. Even from the beginning, I've been able to at least get a fingernail of what those were, but I could never really connect with this last temptation of, you know, putting God to the test. And I was like, I, I hear the words. I just don't know what that looks like. And I had, um, I had this experience of watching this documentary lately uh, about a certain um, family who had come out of the Amish community. I'm very into the Amish. <laughs> it's a long story, but I'm fascinated by them and the way that the Amish community um, has has sort of evolved over time and then how some people are coming out of it. And there's a sort of a movement, I guess you would call it, of, of, of Amish families finding a savior because the, the system they're coming out of is very rules-regulated, oriented, um, you know, I'm not, I don't want to disparage them or talk about something I don't really know about, but apparently what happens is there's not a grace connection to God. So many of them are coming out and becoming Christians, um, meeting really Jesus, a, a, a savior for the first time. And I like to follow those stories in their, their lives. Well, anyway, I had, was following this one story of a guy that, um, had come out of that, but he had sort of in his reading of the scriptures, what he had decided was that God was going to use him to spread the gospel without having um, a a regular job, and that he was gonna he was just gonna provide for him miraculously. He was gonna provide money for him miraculously, and I was like, oh! And I couldn't figure out why I I was sad for him, and I was like, man, oh, I wish he would not think that. And I couldn't figure out why I was thinking that because I do realize the scriptures can be a little confusing when you're trying to figure out, you know, Jesus sends out the 72 and he says, don't take anything with you. And, you know, God will take care of you. You know, I understand where people get um, confused with that. And even Paul and his journeys and trying to decide, you know, you know, here I worked, but here, you know, people should take care of me, that kind of thing. So I know it's a bigger conversation, but I think I wasn't able to put my finger on why I didn't, I didn't, I was, you know, I didn't like what he was saying. And it was this, it was that he had decided that God's blessing would look like this. If God was blessing me, because he said, he said this, so it will look like this. If he, if he said, don't take anything, that means he's going to take care of me. And, and I just feel like it was sort of putting God to the test instead of just following what God's leading is. And um, I've heard this before, and I just never knew what it was when people would sort of claim a promise, I'm claiming this, and and I'd be like, 
yeah, but that that doesn't necessarily mean <laughs> that that's the way that, that the blessing is going to look to God. I think I even said earlier that, you know, sometimes things that we think are disabilities or defects, they God doesn't see it that way. And um, I think it just sort of gave me words to something I never knew how to uh, talk about, but putting God to the test. You know, I some sometimes I... Um, I think I know what God is going to do, but I, I really just don't know. So I just have to go in a direction and I have to follow what he's blessing and instead of demanding that he do it this way. So it sounds a little bit to me like saying, God, you're going to bless me this way. This is what it would look like if you really cared for me. This is what it would look like if you really took care of me. And, and that made some sense to me, actually, <laughs> more sense than it ever had before. But I want to answer these questions. So the first question says, when you think of a temp when you think of temptation as a rush to grab for ourselves something God um, wants to give us as a gift, where do you see hurry in your own life? Um, how how do you want to acknowledge this before God, wel welcoming His mercy and grace to meet you here? And this is sort of a, um, I, I hope this question, this answer makes sense to you. I, I put, I have rushed to grab as long as I can remember. I grab for food before I'm actually hungry. I grab for time and try to make stuff fit into it. I grab to feel better now. <clears throat> I began um, anesthetizing, which is basically seeking relief from anxiety and pain, very young, before I could even understand what I was doing. Um, fifth grade brought both impurity and overeating, and by eighth grade, they were solidly, ex um, they were solidly entrenched strongholds. They delivered immediate relief for sure, but long-term grief. That process of seeking instant relief, of course, led to getting high, which led to addiction and immorality, even faster relief, but exponential grief. Since my baptism, God has um, painstakingly pried my fingers off of each of these false gods and led me to wait on him, providing relief without the grief, of course, of uh, the grief of consequences. It would be freedom untainted, as the song would say. Now it is a daily decision not to grab for anything. I still get caught up, not because it's not because I'm not free, but because I need to learn true trust. I sometimes can't tell the difference between getting things done responsibly and diligently and grabbing. I truly need God's grace to unravel the many threads of my heart. And um, I had the pleasure of watching this um, this show recently, where one of the women was talking about how. Um, she had finally gotten to the point of, uh, of basically freedom from overeating, freedom from the, the grabbing for food, for greed for food, greed for more. But she said this really interesting thing. It was perfect for me because this is the question, this has been a question of my heart. But she said, she said, you know, it's still a daily struggle for me. Like every single day I have to think about it. I have to think about waiting. I have to allow, I have to think about waiting for the growl, waiting for God to give me the go ahead to eat. She said, not because I'm not free, but because 
I need that dependency on God to keep me humble. And I was like, that's it. That is what I have been thinking about so much lately is, is that I keep picturing that, uh, that freedom would mean I never have to think about it. I never have to think about this sin again. But actually, that is not true. I have been set free from that sin, but I still have to think about it. That doesn't mean I'm not free. That means I get to become more dependent on God in my humility. I get to grow in my humility and learn to trust. It is going to be always a daily effort. It's going to take all of my, my heart, my soul, my mind, and my strength to learn to trust God in everything. And that's okay. And that is becoming a slave to Christ. We are supposed to become slaves. We become a slave to Christ. Not a slave to sin, but a slave to Christ. And that really helped me to, to turn that in my mind and go, good, I'm glad I have this and I am going to... Um, sort of embrace that thought that I have to think about it all the time, that it is a conscious effort um, to rely on God, to learn to trust Him. It's going to take a while. Um, okay, number two, I have, oh, I'm sorry, I should read the question. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm reading really slowly because I can't see very well, but it's coming, it's coming clear and clear. It says, think of some of the waiting places in your life at this stage in your journey what temptations do these delays raise for you? How might God be inviting you to wait with him and wait for what he might do? And I wrote, I have a few big areas of waiting right now. One, waiting on child to find God in their wandering. Another, waiting on some projects I want to do now that need to wait until all of my kids are through school. And another, only God can know. Even the reminder of this chapter that these are true waiting times helps me to see them as invitations to wait with God, noticing the opportunities to draw close to Him and letting go of the temporal and grabbing for the eternal. I think it just helped me to acknowledge them, to write them down. These are waiting times. It's Because I can just feel the angst of it. I can feel... Um, the unsettled nature of it. But these are legitimate waiting times. So God's call for me right now is to wait with him. And we can talk while we're in the waiting room. <laughs> we can, we can, there's still stuff. There's magazines in the waiting room. We can still talk and we can still have fun together in the waiting room. Okay. And then number three, it says, which of these temptations, three temptations, those related to provision or authority and honor, or to doubt, uh, the doubt of God's care, do you find most troublesome at this stage in your journey? How does Jesus' Jesus's response to that particular temptation help you here? And I wrote, all three of these temptations um, resonate with me deeply, but I guess the one that is really coming clear to me is that of the provision, right? Living a life based on feelings takes a while to change. My assumption that God's love should make everything clear, easy, uncluttered, etc. is unfounded. I feel like right now God is calling for me to trust him deeply even through some things, even, oh I'm sorry, even though some things are still foggy, messy, imperfect, and whatnot. All lessons in my life seem to be pointing back to this and I have these two 
uh, huge experiences. One is happening right now where I cannot see clearly. So I had this surgery um, where they replace your lens and I have both of my lenses replaced. And so eventually the hope is that I would regain, I would actually come to 20-20 vision. But right now, it everything is still fuzzy and unclear. But in the midst of that, I'm like, well, I still want to. I want to make. I still need to make the video for this week, and um, I can barely read, and you know all this stuff. So, but it was kind of like this uh, tangible way to go. But I can still function. You know, you don't have to see completely perfectly clearly. I do not know how to everything. I do not have to know how every single thing is going to work out in my life to trust God and to do it, just to go ahead and do whatever he's calling me to do. So that was one example. And then I might've already given this example, but when we were at Teen Challenge, I've told many people this, sorry if it's a repeat, but um, we went to this we, we went to this place where we do these high ropes courses. And one of the activities that we do is that you walk up this pole, I don't know how high it is, 60 feet, it's, it's crazy high. You have to go up to the top of this pole and then you look out and there's this rickety old bridge, which is really just planks that are on wires. So these little planks that are about, you know, a foot apart and you have to you have to walk on these planks from one pole to the other pole. It's very rickety, it's shaky, and of course you have nothing to hold on to and you're 60 feet in the air. It's just crazy scary, right? So I had, before I had gone on this trip, I had set some goals and I was like, God, I really want to be able to um, slow my breathing down and be calm um, when I get up to the top of whatever. I was not picturing this particular apparatus, but just being up. Because what happens is when you go up, really, I'm not particularly afraid of heights. I'm not one of, you know, I don't have like a phobia. But when you go up, the heart starts racing and you, you can barely, you just, you start shaking because you're not breathing properly. And I have learned over time that if you'll just wait and breathe, that um, you actually will stop shaking. And I wanted to be able to stop shaking and just walk, you know, just be able to do whatever the apparatus was, um, sort of calmly with God. And as I got up there and I was breathing and I was waiting, I could not, I just couldn't, um, I I felt pressured because there were so many people that I was like, I don't have the time to just wait and to slow down my breathing, which may or may not have been true. But what I did was I was like, well, even if I can't completely calm myself in my breathing, I'm just going to walk anyway. And so I got to a certain level and I was like, okay, God, we're just going to walk. So I did. And actually I made it all, almost all the way across the bridge. So it was like amazing. And the lesson if for me in that spiritually was, you know, it's not all gonna calm down right now. I am not in a calm place in my life. I am not in a um, completely serene atmosphere at this moment. That's not, that's not what can be expected. And, but it's okay. I can still trust God. I can still pray. I can still, still and quiet my own soul within me, Psalm 131, right? I can still do that even in the midst of all of this stuff because God is with me. So I think what I feel like all roads are pointing to, it's like, it's like I'm not getting it, so God keeps repeating this lesson, um, is that you're not going to be able to see clearly right now. You're not going to be completely calm right now. And it's still going to be fine. You're going to be fine. You take one step. We go one step at a time, one day at a time, and you're going to be fine. So anyway, that's how this chapter hit me, and I can't wait to hear how it hit you. So please... 
um, respond to or put a reply or whatever it is, um, share your story underneath this video. Until next time.